has indeed been a while. I honestly don't remember exactly when the last time I spoke was. It's been, uh, it's been a minute, so if I'm a little rusty, forgive me. Let's, uh, let's open with a word of prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for the presence that we have, uh, that we have felt here this morning, grateful for your touch. And Father, as we dive into the word this morning, God, I pray that you would cause it to come alive inside each one of our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would anoint it, make it powerful. Lord, I pray that you would hide it deep in our hearts and allow us to grow from it and learn from it and share it with others. Lord, we thank you for your touch this morning. We thank you for your word in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, I want to talk a little bit about the miracle at the wedding in Cana. And if you have your Bible, turn to John chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 10. John chapter 2, verses number 1 through number 10. The word says, In the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, They have no wine. And Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. And I love that verse. It, it kind of cracks me up. It's like, Mom, what am I going to do with you? <laughs> like I can almost sense like a little bit of exasperation. <laughs> Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. Verse number five, his mother saith unto the servants, whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. And there were set there six water pots of stone after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. And Jesus saith unto them, fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he saith unto them, draw out now and bear unto the governor of the feast. And they bear it. And when the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and knew not whence it was, he didn't know where it came from, but the servants which drew it out, they knew. The governor of the feast called the bridegroom and said unto him, Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine, and when men have well drunk, then that which is worse. But thou hast kept the good wine until now. Everybody puts out the good stuff, and when people are a little tipsy and they're kind of feeling the effects of the wine, their, their taste buds aren't quite as sharp, that's when they put out the, the, the filler stuff, the cheap stuff, the, the boxed wine. <laughs> Not that I'm a sommelier or anything. Like I'd... <laughs> this, this miracle is rich with significance and symbolism. And this morning, I want to just kind of go dive into, uh, into the word a little deeper in a couple of, the, a couple of the aspects of this miracle and what it means to us today. Uh, the first thing I wanted to, to bring out is the water pots were there for the purpose of ceremonial cleansing. They weren't just, you know, pots for, you know, wash your hands up, it's time to eat dinner, go, go and wash your face. No, they were there for a ceremonial cleansing in the Levitical law. Um, in, and in Jewish custom, there was, there was a lot of washing that, that took place. Uh, you, you were to wash your feet after arriving to someone's home, kind of 
kind of like today you go to somebody's house and they ask you to take their take your shoes off there was a lot of a lot of foot washing they wore you know of course wore sandals and so they you know the feet were dirty and dusty and all of that so when you went to someone's home you washed your feet that you washed the hands before and after eating you washed your hands after sleeping you washed your hands if you had touched anything that was to was considered under levitical law unclean there was a, a lot of washing that took place and Jesus instructed the servants to fill the pots all the way up, fill them to the brim. So this represented the, you know, the, the super extra strength scrubbing bubbles, right? This was the very most, the maximum amount of ceremonial cleansing. Fill them to the brim. Fill these water pots, this ceremonial cleansing water to the brim. As much ceremonial cleansing as we can muster represented the very best, the most that the Levitical law could accomplish. All of the law, all the law could do for us, it represented the most that the law could accomplish. And then Jesus converted it into wine. He was God incarnate, God in the flesh. He could have instructed the servants to dump out the water and then said, let there be wine, and there would have been plenty of wine. Instead, he transformed, he converted what was already there into something completely different. And Jesus said in Matthew 5, 17, think not that I am come to destroy the law. I didn't come here to dump out the water. Or the prophets, I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. I'm come to fulfill. The water pots for ceremonial washing represented the old covenant. And Jesus converted the old covenant of, of works, of sacrifices, of blood, into a new covenant of his grace. The ceremonial cleansing of doing good and being religious is not enough. Ephesians 2, uh, verses 8 and 9 say, For by grace are you saved through faith, and not that uh, and, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Romans 3.10 says, there is none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. In, in Isaiah 64, and I kind of debated on whether or not to, to bring this out, but I look around the room and I, I think we're all adults here. Um, Isaiah 64, 6 teaches us that our righteousness is like filthy rags to God. And some of you may remember, I, I've talked about this in the past, but um, that, that word filthy rags, you know, when I, growing up, whenever I would hear that, I would think, you know, the shop towels, you change the oil in the car and your hands are greasy and you take your wife's nice clean dish towels and you wipe your hands on it and now it's a filthy rag, right? <laughs> You're, you're staining wood and you pour the, the lacquer on the surface and you, you know, rub it in and now the towel is brown and, and when it dries, it's kind of crust. That's a filthy rag. It's got sawdust on it. And no, that's not what the Bible's talking about. And the reason that I'm going to go here is because it kind of ties back into that Levitical law stuff that we're talking about. The Hebrew word for filthy rags actually refers to menstrual cloths. And in, in the Old Testament, in Jewish law, a woman who was on her monthly cycle was considered unclean. And any object that she touched was unclean. Any person that she touched was unclean. And then you had, so if you were touched, 
and you, had, you were unclean, then you had to wash with water, and then you were unclean until that night, and then the next morning you were considered clean. And the woman was unclean for the, the seven-day duration, right? And you can find all this in Leviticus chapter 15, verses 19 through, through 24. Um, so what Isaiah 64 is telling us, that apart from God, anything that we can try and do, any good work that we can try and do in and of ourselves, apart from God, literally is offensive and unclean to God. And when you, when you stop and consider that, and you really, like, the very best that I can do apart from God, I can try my hardest to keep the Ten Commandments. I can try my hardest to, to live a good life and live right. I can give to the poor. All of these things, if I'm not doing it with God down on the inside, it's offensive to God. I'm unclean, and everything that I touch and everywhere that I go is impurified by my good works. Our very attempts at achieving salvation by living right not only fall pitifully short, but they're disgusting to God. Powerful stuff. But Jesus took this ceremonial water. He took the the law, and he converted it he converted that water into, into wine. And this is a picture of, uh, this is a picture of, of God's grace and what he's done for us. The wine is a picture of the blood of Christ that was shed on Calvary. And the water of tradition can't wash us of our sin. The water of ceremony can't wash us of our sin. The water of being a good person or living right can't wash us of our sin. The water of religion, the water of showing up every Sunday faithfully, that's, that's not going to wash us of our sin. It's only through the blood of Christ, only through the grace of God. And that grace comes to us, of course, through the shed blood of Christ. On Mark uh, 14, 24, Jesus said at the Last Supper, this is the blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many. The ceremonial water pots were there for washing the, the outside of the body. They were for washing, washing the hands, washing the feet. They were there for washing what was external. But how many of you know all it takes, you wash your car, and all it takes is one, one, good, one good Treasure Valley dust storm to come through, and your car's filthy again, right? The, the outside is destined to just get dirty once more. And need to be recleaned all over again. But Jesus converted the, the water into something that was going down on the inside of man. And when we invite Christ into our hearts and our lives, that grace that he gives comes in and frees us from the bondage of sin. Now one thing I want to want you to notice about this miracle. And, and we're going we're gonna to jump into some math homework here. Notice the volume, the amount of wine that was produced and the quality of it, the caliber of wine. Bottom shelf versus top shelf, right? Jesus had the servants fill the water pots to the brim. And those, there were six water pots. And the word says that they were two to three firkins apiece. And a firkin is about nine gallons. So six pots at two firkins each, 
would be 12 firkins. And at nine gallons per firkin, that would be 108 gallons. So this morning, I'm, I, I was doing a little, <laughs> little Googling to try and think, okay, let's put that into, into perspective. Uh, if you have an average bathtub at home, that's about 40 gallons. So two, maybe three bathtubs full of wine was what was made for this, this celebration. So six pots at, they were two to three firkins a peach. So six pots at three firkins each would be 18 firkins. And at nine gallons per firkin, that's 162 gallons, or about three, a little over 355 gallon drums of wine. So a lot, right? Pretty good volume. But we'll just, this morning for the sake of conversation, we'll use a, a roughly 120 gallons. We'll figure it was probably about 120 gallons of wine. Ephesians 1.7 says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of, sin, of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Jesus didn't just give a little, although he could have. He didn't make just enough, although he could have. He produced an overwhelming abundance. Have you ever tried to move a 55-gallon drum of anything? They're kind of heavy. 120 gallons. That's an overwhelming abundance of wine. That's an overwhelming abundance. That is more than they could drink at this party. And according to John 2, verse number 10, it was the best wine. It wasn't just, you know, like I said earlier, it wasn't just boxed wine. This wasn't just enough wine to get him through the, see him through the celebration. No, this was an overwhelming abundance of the absolute best stuff. And I say the best stuff because if the tradition was to serve the good wine first, and then the lesser wine, it stands to reason that the wine they had already drank was really good quality. The wine they had already consumed was good quality wine. It was the best stuff that man could produce. The finest winemaker in Galilee put this stuff out, right? And Jesus came along and one-upped him. An overwhelming abundance of the absolute best. There is nothing this morning that can compare to the abundant grace of God through Christ. There is nothing that can compare. Nothing we can produce on our own. Nothing we can do in ourselves that can even come close to comparing to what Jesus did for us and what we have in Christ. Amen. Something really jumped out at me, um, and, and this kind of goes back to the, the exasperated with his mother thing. In, in verse 4, he says, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not come. Another version puts it, Dear woman, that's not our problem. My time has not yet come. And yet, Jesus goes ahead and turns 120 gallons of ceremonial water into 120 gallons of wine. Why? If it wasn't his time, why did he do it? 
I heard one pastor preach a long time ago that, that even though it wasn't Jesus' time, Mary's tremendous faith changed the very will and mind of God. Neat thought, but I don't think God works that way. Faith is vital to our walk, and Scripture teaches that without faith, it's impossible to please God. But we know that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. So if it's not the will of God for Jesus to perform such a miracle, he wouldn't have spoken it to Mary and contradicted himself. So I don't think that's our answer. Some teach that it was because Mary was his mother, and even though it wasn't Jesus' time, he was obeying his mother as in the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and your mother. But if you look at the scripture closely, he, Mary never tells Jesus, son, I want you to turn this water into wine, or son, I need you to solve the problem of the lack of wine at the party. That, she never told him that. Instead, she looked at the servants and said, he's going to do something. I don't know what he's going to do, but you, you do whatever he tells you to do. I can just see Jesus, hey, it's not yet my time. And she, you do whatever he says. You, follow, you listen to him because you just watch. And don't, don't you, don't, he's, it's not yet his time and all that, but you just, you do whatever he tells you to do and he's going to take care of it. There's a principle to be learned here. When we present our problems to God, we need to just leave them at his feet. Mary demonstrated absolute unwavering faith in Jesus. And not just faith that he would handle the problem like she thought that he would handle the problem, but she had faith enough to tell the servants, do whatever, whatever he says. He could have told them to do something completely different or nothing at all. But Mary had complete faith, not in ju in, just in Jesus' power, but also in his will. So if Jesus said, it's not yet my time, and he went ahead with the miracle anyway, he either didn't know that it was his time. Or he violated God's will. And neither of those make any sense. Neither of those reasons, even though we can look at these hypotheses and, and we can deduct some, uh, some really valid points for our Christian, our spiritual walk, neither of those is very accurate. So what was it then? Both of these scenarios would mean that he was flawed and therefore not God, which goes against what we know through Scripture. We're left with one alternative. Jesus was talking about something else entirely. When you take into consideration the significance of the miracle and all of the foreshadowing, I believe it's clear what Jesus meant. He had a laser-like focus on his mission which was to bring salvation to the world. He was intimately and constantly connected to God the Father. He was not speaking about the wine crisis that was taking place in present day at a wedding that he and his disciples were invited to. He wasn't talking specifically about that problem of a lack of wine. When he said, it's not yet my time, he wasn't speaking of the time of his earthly ministry to begin on this earth. He was speaking of the time of his earthly ministry's end. When the mission of grace would be completed. When the symbolism 
of the water being turned into wine was manifested in reality when he transformed the old covenant, the old law of sacrifices and works, when he transformed it into the new covenant of grace. He wasn't talking about turning water into wine. He was talking about when his time on earth would be done and he was transforming the old covenant into the new, when he was fulfilling that old covenant, fulfilling the old law that we couldn't keep. He wasn't talking about the wine at the wedding, but what the, wedding he, the wine he was about to make represented. And this is so powerful to me because from the very onset, from the very beginning of his life, he was laser focused on the mission. He never took his mind off of it. When he was 12 years old teaching in the temple and his mom <laughs> scolded him, son, what are you doing? You, we left without you. Mom, I'm, I'm, doing the work of the, I'm doing the work of the Lord. I'm doing, I'm doing God's work. I, I can't be troubled with, with distractions. I'm doing the work of God. From, the, from childhood, he was laser-focused on the mission, the big picture, the plan of salvation. And his mind is still focused on that today. So I want to close and end with a, a question for you this morning. How many of us still get stuck trying to wash ourselves with water when really what we need to do is allow him to turn that water into wine in our lives? I know I'm guilty of it. I spend my days trying to serve others and and my Sunday is trying to serve others. And so often it's so easy to get so wrapped up in what we're doing that we miss the why behind what we're doing. Our good works will never save us. The best that we can do will never be enough. It's only through his grace. Only through his grace. This morning, let's bow our heads. I know this is a, a, a quick I, I, sermonette, I, I would say. Um, and that's by design because it's really nice outside. <laughs> well, let's bow our heads and pray. Lord, I know in my own life, I have been guilty of relying on the water. I know in my own life I have been guilty of relying on the water, trying to do good works and live a good life and be a good man and a good husband and a good father. And God, it's exhausting sometimes. And I need to get the wine down on the inside of me. I need, I need that transformative power to take what little I have in my hands and, and turn it into something that can be used by you. Something that can be used for your glory. God, I surrender today. 
I surrender today and I ask you, Father, to take the water and turn it into wine in my life. If you're here this morning and you've been guilty of doing the same, just lift your hand up. Not to me, not to one another, but to God. God bless you all. Thank you. Lord, those that have raised their hands this morning, Father, I pray that you would I pray that you would minister to them. I pray, God, that you would speak to their hearts, God. In those moments where they're relying on the water, I pray that you would speak to their hearts, remind them to rest in, the, in your grace. Father, I pray that you would fill each one of us with the wine. Fill each one of us, God, with your grace. Allow us, God, to live out that grace for others. And Lord, we thank you, we thank you, we thank you for your sacrifice that made it all possible. We thank you that from the beginning your mind was focused on the mission, focused on bringing us to salvation, and that your mind is still focused on that. Lord, we love you and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 That's all I got for you. God bless you this morning.